Friends, since Easter, we have been looking at all the ways that the resurrected Christ works in the world. And today we're going to read a passage from the book of Galatians, the first chapter, verses 13 through 17, and the second chapter, verses 11 through 21. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves, if we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again, the very things that I tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we came to this place this day not to hear a human word, but to hear your word of love and grace spoken into our lives. We ask that everything that is human would fall away and that we would hear only your voice speaking into our lives. And in hearing, may we be transformed. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Flannery O'Connor has written a short story called The River. And at the end of that short story, there is a five or six year old boy who goes down to the river and tries to baptize himself and he drowns. And when this story was published, there were a lot of people who were really upset. She was asked over and over again, why would you portray baptism in this way? Why would you write such a horrifying story, especially about baptism? And Flannery O'Connor said, well, when you are dealing with people who are blind, you've got to write in really big caricatures. What she meant is that we, people of faith, we have this idea of what baptism is, and we grab a hold of the idea that baptism is forgiveness and grace, and we forget that baptism always involves death. When we are baptized, we promise to be alive to Christ, and we also promise to die to the ways of sin. That's a part of our baptismal promise. If there is an infant who is baptized, its parents take those vows until the child is old enough to do it on their own. But Flannery O'Connor knows that with the grace of baptism comes a no, a holy no, a no to the ways of sin. Now, the Apostle Paul knows, too, what baptism is. He knows that there are things that should die in our baptism. And this passage, actually the whole book of Galatians, has been described as like one half of a really angry phone call. Paul's, I mean, yeah, Paul's really mad at Peter. And the reason for this is that the new church, as it's coming into being in Acts, they would have discussions about who was in and who was out. And so if you'll remember from last week in the book of Acts, there was a certain group who said, if Gentiles want to become Christians, they have to keep the law of Moses and they have to be circumcised. And all of the apostles had this debate. And the agreement was that nobody kept the law of Moses perfectly. And so why would we want them to have to keep that law and be circumcised? Why would we want to make them coming to Christ harder than it needed to be? And so Gentiles were allowed in the church. Shortly after that, Peter meets a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter converts Cornelius and his whole household. And there's this really beautiful passage in Acts where Peter can see that Cornelius has been given the Holy Spirit. He never thought it could happen as a faithful Jew, but he can see that this Gentile, Cornelius, is filled with the very Spirit of God. And so through the rest of the book of Acts, we see Peter eating with Gentiles, converting them, welcoming them into the church. So then this group comes in and they say, okay, it's enough that we let Gentiles in. It's enough that they aren't circumcised and they aren't keeping the law of Moses. We cannot eat with them. We cannot sit at a table with them. They are different than us. And this isn't mere prejudice. I think for a lot of the faithful Jews, it was about their identity. Who are we going to be? We're supposed to be God's chosen people. Who will we be if we start mixing with the Gentiles? And so Paul writes this really angry letter. And the first thing he says is, Hey, Peter, you had no problem meeting with Gentiles just a little while ago. 
So don't act like this is a conviction that you have. You know, Paul says to Peter, as well as I do, that we are all forgiven through grace. And because we have been given a grace we don't deserve, in our baptism, we are asked to say no to all those divisions that we think are going to separate us. We are asked to say no to the idea that some of us should be one way and some of us should be another. We are asked to say no to the idea that there are some sins that are worse than others. We are asked to say no to all the divisions and to remember that we are united in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we gain in our baptism. And so Paul reminds the community that not only does Peter eat with Gentiles anyway, but that it is imperative that we share a table with people who are different than us. It's not just that people are being left out. It's that there's something wrong when the people of God cannot sit down at table together and share a meal. That is a holy thing. And we are asked to say no to anything that limits that. Now, when we talk about dying in our baptism, that sounds like a really awful thing. But it's just that we're asked to die to the ways of sin as best we can. And we know that we will never be able to do that in our lifetimes completely. If you have been to a funeral here, sometimes you will hear that the deceased person's baptism is finally complete in their death. Because it is only in our death when we are reunited with God that we will be truly free of sin. But until then, we are asked over and over again to say no. And when we do that, Christ is more fully alive in us. We bear Christ to the world, each of us. And we also recognize that our brothers and sisters have Christ in them also, and they are bearing Christ to the world. There's a story about when Lyndon Baines Johnson was invited to be president, or John Kennedy's um, vice president. And the story goes that Lyndon Baines Johnson had been in the Senate for a very long time, and he had accrued a lot of power. He liked power. He went about getting it however he could. And so he's talking with John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, and Robert Kennedy doesn't like him at all. And he says, Robert Kennedy says to Lyndon Johnson, listen, Lyndon, you know, right, that there is no power in the vice presidency. And Lyndon Johnson said, son, power is where power goes. You know what he means, right? If he's going to be the vice president, there's going to be some power in it because he's got the power. Well, friends, Christ is where you go. You bear Christ to the world. You bring Christ into the world when you love, when you forgive, when you offer grace and goodness. That's who we are as Christians. We are going to celebrate our graduates today, and they're going to go off into new places and new ventures, and guess what? Christ goes with them there too. And I will tell you, with our new graduates and with this congregation, there's no one better to bear the love of Christ to the world. So our challenge is to figure out what we need to say no to so that we can have more Christ for the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.